Well, good morning. Uh, as Andrew said, my name is Gary Heaps, and uh, I'll be uh, talking with you this morning. Uh, this morning we are in Acts chapter 6. We're continuing. We're, we've been looking at the book of Acts and working through the book of Acts, and this morning we're in Acts chapter 6. I believe it's 914 in the Pew Bibles, or page 914 is where Acts chapter 6 is. Uh, but it's, it's not a particularly long chapter, uh, and, but it does have, a, I think, an important theme to it. So uh, this is Acts uh, chapter 6, okay, and we'll be talking about that the thing. It says this, and I'm going to divide this into two. It says this, now in those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, and a proselyte of Antioch. Uh, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Uh, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. All right, so we have this uh, beginning of a start uh, to this particular chapter. And uh, I would probably say, if you had your Bibles open, uh, there's probably a little uh, thing, the selection of deacons, etc. Or some, there's some little heading at the beginning of chapter 6 where it talks about this. Uh, and talks about what's going on. And this morning I'd like to talk a little bit about what was going on in Jerusalem at this particular point in time. And the first thing I want to uh, focus on is this. It says this, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. And for those of us living uh, in modern America, this might not necessarily uh, make a lot of sense. And so I want to spend just a couple minutes talking about what would have been going on in the Jewish community within Jerusalem. And keep in mind, these are all Jews who live in Jerusalem at this time. Um, here is you know, a little map of the Roman Empire, uh, circa around when Jesus was born, but uh, same, similar borders at this particular point in time. You can see Jerusalem is down there. Um, and when you think about the Jews, and you think about the Jewish homeland, and if you follow through the Old Testament, you tend to think about Palestine. You think about the areas of Judea and Galilee, and this region in which uh, the Jews typically had lived. This was, of course, the region that was promised to Abraham. This was the place where Moses led the people to. And so you tend to think about that region. Uh, what you don't necessarily think about is the way life just works. And this is a story which is as applicable to today as it was uh, then. Uh, Palestine was a pretty poor region. Uh, there wasn't much economically to do there. You could do a little bit of farming. Uh, you could do a little bit of uh, goat and sheep tending. Uh, you know, you could do that sort of thing. But there wasn't much economic opportunity. And because there wasn't much economic opportunity, 
People moved, they left, they went to where there was economic opportunity. And those places would have been places like Alexandria, which you see there on the map, that would have been in Egypt. Or you would have gone to uh, the province that the Romans called Asia, which we now would refer to as Turkey. Uh, or you might have gone to Libya, which would be Cyrenica, uh, which will get mentioned in the passage a little later. Uh, you would have gone somewhere else to make a living. And when you would have gotten there, you would have had inherently a problem. The people in Judea spoke Aramaic, but nobody in Alexandria or Ephesus or anywhere else spoke Aramaic. What they spoke was Greek. And because you would have had to have, you would have gone there to make a living, and you would have had to engage in business and commerce in order to make that living and in order to function in that world, over time, you would have had to have learned Greek. And once you start speaking it, it becomes sort of the common language. And what you had was a situation, uh, by the time that this, this passage in Acts chapter six is being written, where you have a large number of Jews who've moved out of Palestine and they've moved to other parts of the Roman Empire and they don't speak any Hebrew and they don't speak any Aramaic any longer. The only language they speak is Greek. And many of them, okay, that's all they did was they spoke Greek. And yet at the same time, they still defined themselves as Jews. They thought, was, we're, we're Jews, and we want to be a part of the Jewish religion. And so many of them had, you know, if you think about it, when they, they got, maybe they, they worked there for a little while, maybe they made a little bit of money, and they decided, well, I'm going to go back to Jerusalem. And so they had established communities back in Jerusalem. And so what you would have had is if you had gone to Jerusalem back in 40 AD, you would have had communities of, you know, synagogues of Jews who primarily spoke Aramaic, and then you would have had some other synagogues which primarily spoke Greek. And the problem that the early church ran into is when Peter and all of the disciples began to preach the gospel, it wasn't one kind of Jew that responded. Some of the Jews who spoke Aramaic responded to the gospel. Some of the Jews who spoke Greek responded to the gospel. And before they knew it, they had a congregation composed of both groups. There were some who spoke Hebrew and there were some, or, or Aramaic and understood the Hebrew, and there was this other group that spoke the Greek. And apparently, okay, according to our passage here, um, the Hellenists would complained against the Hebrews. Uh, there were a number of widows uh, who were in the early church, and these widows were dependent upon uh, the benefits or the, the charity of the early church for their survival. And according to this particular passage, some of these Hellenists spoke up and said, hey, our widows are not receiving as much as your widows are. And we've got a problem here because we're not getting what was or what should be uh, available to all. In, in the early church. All right, now that's the first thing. This is a dispute that starts with this Hellenist, Hebrews sort of thing, and we could take it into the direction of, of talking about ethnic differences. I'm not gonna spend as much time talking about that because I wanna talk about something else. I wanna talk about this. He said they, their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And I wanna just point something out here. There was a daily distribution. It's real easy to just read past that and not really think much about that, 
But, I mean, think about it for just a second. This is not that old a church. This is a church that has really just gotten started. Uh, they really haven't been in existence that long. They haven't been in working that long. And yet, there's a daily distribution to all the widows in the church, to all of those who have come into the congregation. They make sure that each day there is a distribution to them to keep them going and keep them alive. And I think if you think about it, that this is remarkable, uh, that they already had, had generated such an attitude of giving and such an attitude of we're gonna care for others that there was a daily distribution. But I wanna take that and I wanna sort of point out exactly what I think that means. Um, you know, a couple weeks ago, uh, Dave was talking about Acts chapter four, and in Acts chapter four, there is the whole story that they all held in common and Barnabas sells a field and he brings the money and they all hold that in common. And then, of course, last week, uh, Eric talked about the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And I think a lot of times people see all that and they, they wonder, what does that mean? And, I think I'd like to sort of develop that a little bit because I think in this, this thing, daily distribution, there is some element of that. And in order to do that, I wanna talk about somebody else. I wanna talk about this gentleman, okay? Uh, this is Luis Ortiz, okay? Uh, and for those of you who don't know him and for those of you who are a little newer to our church, let me point something out. We support a church in Mexico, okay? It is in the uh, town or the community of Zaragoza in the state of Oaxaca. It is the uh, town that Ponce and Martha are from. And I believe Luis is, he's related to you, correct, Ponce? Yeah, okay, uh, they, they're relatives. Um, Luis right now is the pastor of the church down there in Zaragoza. And he is currently in undertaking uh, the pastoral duties. Now, okay, prior to, I think, 2001, the pastor of the church was this man, Marcelino Garcia, okay? Marcelino is the man who established the church. Marcelino came to the United States and he became a Christian. And then he went back to Mexico and thought, you know what, I'd like to share this good news with some people uh, in my home village, uh, mainly his family. Um, he shared it with his family, they shared it with others, etc. cetera. And uh, by 2001, or I mean, by 2021, there were, Marcelino had seven churches or something like that. I forget how many churches he had, but there's all sorts of churches in this area that he helped to establish, etc. But one of the things uh, that was true, and I should just point out, sadly, uh, Marcelino contracted the COVID virus uh, a couple years ago, and unfortunately he passed away, and that is why Luis is now the pastor of the church. But let me just point out something here. When Marcelino went back to Zaragoza and he began to talk about the gospel, he got a lot of flack from the community. And one of the first people, okay, although maybe not the first, but early on, one of the people who converted, who embraced the gospel, was Luis. But this was not easy for Luis, because Luis's family cut him off. They said, we don't want anything to do with you. If you're going to be this Christian, we want nothing to do with you. And they kicked him out, and they said, get out, go. And Marcelino took him in for a period of time until he, you know, he was a young man, he'd been kicked out. It took him a little while to get on his feet and eventually Luis would marry Marcelino's sister. But anyway, lar larger story, Marcelino took him in. 
And if you go down to Mexico, and hopefully maybe next year we'll get the chance to go, um, you would see that this is a common practice down there. They take, people come to know the Lord. And when they come to know the Lord, sometimes their situations are less than ideal. Families cut them off. By the way, Jesus said exactly this in Matthew 10. He said, my word are gonna divide mothers from daughters, fathers from sons, etc." And it literally happened down there. People were divided and people get kicked out and people are left abandoned by their families. And the church has to pick it up. And I think this is something that the early church was actually doing. There was a daily distribution. Widows had come into the congregation. They were people who were utterly dependent upon the early church. And you know, I mean, this is a good example. Luis is now the pastor and, and the church down there is doing quite well. And Luis is doing the things that Marcelino used to do. And like I say, there are seven at least congregations. I don't know. It, Talk to Ponce and I afterwards. Uh, anyway, larger point, uh, Luis travels from place to place on a Sunday morning preaching. And the larger point was somebody had to take it. When, when, he, when he became a, a Christian, we couldn't just say, oh, great, and then you know, he went home. No, 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 he got kicked out. He was utterly dependent for a period of time. Uh, the same is true in any sort of growing situation. People become utterly dependent on the church, and the church in Acts took care of them. And so I tend to think when you hear about Acts chapter 4, this is a good example of what it is. They were willing to take people in. They were willing to make orphans, okay, uh, have families. They were making sure that widows were provided for. There was a daily distribution. Now, the apostles quickly recognized something. They said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So here's what I think the apostles understood, and they understood it very quickly. What was causing the great growth of the church? It says, and now in those days, the disciples were increasing in number. What was causing that great growth? What was causing that great growth was their great proclamation of the gospel of Christ. That was the thing that was causing the growth. That's why people were coming in. So they recognized, we can't stop doing that, okay? But they also recognized the reality of that is creating a need. As we continue to do this, we are creating, you know, there are more and more people who are coming in who need our help, and there needs to be a way to make sure that we continue to do what we are doing, proclaiming the gospel, and these people get the help that they need. Both things need to happen at the same time. One is not superior to the other. They both need to occur. And so the solution they come up with is this, therefore brothers, pick from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So they, they come with this solution. They say, find some men who can do this, who can make sure that the daily distribution is equalized among them. And the interesting thing about this, of course, here is, you know, it says this, that they, they, they selected these men. They chose Stephen and then Philip and Prochorus. And one of the things that the commentators noted, which again is maybe not obvious to us, all of these names are Greek names. So all of these individuals would have been individuals who probably were Hellenized. They were part of the Hellenistic group, 
all right? And because all of these names are Greek names, they put, okay, you know, yeah, we do have a problem here. It would appear that the distribution has been somewhat unequal. Here, you guys, you put you guys in charge. Make sure you're full of the spirit so that you are not now taking more for your group than for, and make sure that everybody gets what they need to get. And the early church took it upon themselves to make sure that they continued, two things, they continued growing because they were proclaiming the word of God, and two, they were taking care of people as they needed to be taken care of. And this apparently was quite impressive because it says great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is not something we, we tend to talk about much, but this did have its effect. Many within the community became knowledgeable of the Lord from this thing. And the two sides worked together. On the one hand, there was the proclamation of the gospel. On the other, there was the caring for of needs. People's needs were met. Now, let me just move on here and talk a little bit about the rest of the chapter. Okay, so the rest of the chapter is about Stephen, who was one of the people who was selected. It says this, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen, but they could not withstand his wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. All right, so let's talk about this group here as well. Uh, we have this, the synagogue of the freedmen. So what's this talking about? And I, I just wanna point something else out. We'll go back to the map. Uh, in 63 BC, so almost 100 years prior to this, okay, the Roman general, uh, Pompey, uh, conquered Jerusalem. Okay, so Jerusalem, by the way, was conquered more than once during this time by the Romans. In 70 AD, there'll be another uh, conquest of the thing. But in 63 BC, uh, the Roman gen uh, Palestine had been a Roman protectorate, and uh, they were always a problematic uh, province, and they had rebelled. And so the Romans finally said, okay, that's enough. And they went in and took the whole place over, and they did it militarily, they did it violently, and they, they, they just, you know, said, we're gonna take everything and control it now. And when Pompey did this, what he did was he, to teach a lesson to the Jews, so to speak, he took a whole series of Jews and he took them back to Rome and he made slaves out of them, okay? And he had them as slaves for, and I, this is a little, I, I couldn't exactly find in my sources how long they were slaves, but at some point, they were set free. And so these people who had been captured, taken as slaves to Rome, were set freed, and some of them had migrated back to Jerusalem. And this is what the synagogue of the freedmen was, was these people who had come back to Jerusalem. Um, and again, by this point, these are probably the grandchildren and great-grandchildren of the people who actually were taken in slavery, because this was, again, about 100 years uh, of difference. But this would have been a, th a third Jewish group within Jerusalem. So you have these uh, Aramaic Hebrews, you have these Hellenistic Hebrews, and then you have these freedmen who are this other group, but they don't like at all what Stephen has to say. Okay? They're not happy about it at all. And if you think about it, there might be a reason for them not to be happy. And the passage would get into that here in just a minute. All right, then it says this, then they secretly instigated men who said, 
We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God, and they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon and seized him and brought him before the council, and they set up false witnesses who said, okay, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. And it says this, for we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. So let me just point out something here about the Jews who were living in Jerusalem. A lot of these people had come a great way to live in Jerusalem and be close to the temple. Uh, the freedmen would be a good example of this. They had been in Rome. They had a life in Rome, but they were devout Jews and they decided we need to go back to Jerusalem. We need to live there because that's putting us close to the temple. And as far as this charge that Stephen was saying the temple is not important, he wasn't saying exactly that, but as Eric pointed out last week, the church is beginning to assert that the true temple is the people of God, not necessarily the physical building. And this is why the Ananias, <clears throat> this is why there is such a severe breakout against Ananias and Sapphira, okay? Because they are trying to, you know, be a cancerous growth on the church. So Stephen is saying, you know what? Your, your efforts to get back here to Jerusalem really may not be, have been that important. And they'd put their whole identity in getting back to Jerusalem. Their whole identity was the fact that we used to live somewhere else and now we live back here. And they weren't happy about what, what Stephen was saying. And they weren't happy about what the early church was saying. And so they gather, they grab him, they seize him, they bring him back to uh, to the council, and they begin to try to put him on trial, and they want to go after him. And now, all right, that will be, the whole trial will be next week, okay? Uh, and that's what will be discussed then, so stay tuned. Uh, anyway, uh, the passage ends, and gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel, okay? Now, here's what I want to sort of draw out from this passage, and I, I want to sort of think, the proclamation of the gospel is good news, all right? It really is good news. And the thing about the proclamation of the gospel is it brings a lot of people in. But sometimes we don't necessarily think fully through that, okay? People have organized their lives around something other than the gospel. Sometimes they're unwilling to give up that life, and sometimes giving up that life is really hard to do. Uh, this week, I was watching a, a video, and it was, I was a little surprised. I got into the video just a little bit, and I was a little surprised. Uh, it was a particular YouTuber that I watch, and he tends to be, uh, what he does is he travels to different cities, and when he goes to a city, um, he t tries to take a look at the city from sort of behind the scenes. You know, you, you tend to think of certain uh, cities, of course, sell themselves based on the uh, attractions that they have, et cetera. Well, he tries to go behind the scenes and, and see what we're going And he was visiting Las Vegas. And uh, so, you know, he went to one of the shows, but instead of just going to the show, he so what it took to put on the show and behind the scenes and all this sort of stuff. One of the other things, though, that he talked about was, of course, Vegas has a reputation as being a place where there are a lot of people who are involved in the sex industry. And he actually found a couple of women who had at one point in their lives been involved in that. And they had been trafficked. And he 
went and interviewed him. And the thing that surprised me is that he's a pretty secular guy, but these two women are very dedicated Christians and they're involved in a ministry which attempts to get women out of the industry and help them get away from it, etc. But as these women pointed out, this is not that easy. Uh, and you know, the stories were heartbreaking in terms of how many women have been trafficked into that life and how difficult that life is for these women when they're trafficked. But then the story, how do you get out of that life once you're in that life? Many of these women are trafficked at a very early age. They, their traffickers, make sure that they have nothing but the clothes on their back. So if they want to leave, where do they go? What do they do? Um, and there, of course, their whole ministry is providing a shelter, a place for them to live. It provides them with food and clothing. It also provides them, okay, and attempts to provide them with training, okay, because, you know, they have no skills. Typically, these women have no skills because they were taken at such an early age that no skills have been developed. And, of course, one of the other things that they had to do, and they had to be careful in the video, was not to show the women because the traffickers aren't real happy about giving up these women because they're making a lot of money for them. And it's not uncommon for the traffickers to use violence to keep them in order. And the whole point of the video, it was, like I say, a rather long video, and I was, again, rather surprised that he put this on there, but these women gave out their testimony, and they were talking about their ministry and talking about all the things that they do and all the stuff that they do for the women. And it was, it was quite a video, but it, it, it pointed to the problem. And this is, this is the thing I want to sort of challenge us with here this morning. Are we willing to give up the comfort, money, or even safety to see the gospel spread? Um, you know, if you think about in Zaragoza, when Marcelino came and he started proclaiming the gospel, people responded, and what happened? They got kicked out of their house. Okay, now what's he going to do? In his case, he took them into his house, helped them get started and get established. Do we want to see women get out of the sex industry and stop being trafficked? Of course we do, but that means something. Okay? You have to provide them with a safe place to go and skills and training. And I think this passage points to that reality. And I think this is much more what you know, is being talked about when it says none of the people in the church viewed their property as their own. They were willing to give up whatever it took to see the gospel go forward. And the question for us is, are we willing to do that? And I think this is where, you think, are we willing to really... Look at it. Would, would we be happy if it began to spread? Because if it began to spread, we'd soon run into these problems. It's almost guaranteed. There would be problems that would come up and require real physical solutions. And if we're not willing to do this, well, you know, that says something about us. But we do need to be ready for this. Because if the Lord would choose to use us in that way, these problems or these issues would come up very quickly. So, would you join me in prayer? Father, uh, we now have heard your word and we do realize uh, that you uh, have given us the word of truth and the word which would help people to know you. We also realize that right now they are entangled and enslaved in the things of this world. I pray that you would prepare our hearts, Lord, uh, to be ready for when you bring those to us who need to hear the gospel 
and who will respond to the gospel and who will have needs because of that. And we thank you and praise you, Father, for these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.